Hey there, nature lovers. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. Now, before we get started with anything, we've just got a quick announcement to make. As you probably can tell by now, just by looking at the calendar, we're coming up to a bit of a holiday season, which means that we are going to be, after next week, taking off a couple weeks to kind of rest and relax a little bit. And so we will be taking a brief hiatus, but we'll be returning with new episodes on January 10th. Now, January 10th might look a little bit different for y'all because going forward in the next latter half of this year, this season, we will be switching to bi-weekly episodes. So rather than every every Sunday night, it'll be every other Sunday night. So just be aware of that, my friends, as we jump right in and get into it. I really hated the way that you said, let's get into it. Yeah, I know. I tried... It didn't happen right. It was not as organic as I thought. Just say it. Just say it right now, and I'm cutting none of this out. So let's get into it. Perfect. Hey there, nature lovers. Welcome back to another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast, where we talk everything. I think you know the drill by now, but conservation education and fascination my name is matt and i'm joined by my two good friends at our little tea table today hello i am cj ready for the tea hello i'm Brittany, and that's the tea oh you said that really saucy Brittany, Brittany just took a ladle full of marinara and just splashed it all over the audio file right there. Really gross visual. I didn't like that. <laughs> You're welcome. You're we're welcome. Talking, we're not talking. We are, we, are, we are leaving Italy for this episode, unfortunately, <laughs> and we are heading straight to the UK because today we're going to be sipping on some tea. It's, you know, we're in the Midwest. It's cold out. You know, it's snowing. Chicago is probably six feet under snow by now i don't know we haven't been there yet but in accordance with that we are going to be sipping on some piping hot conservation tea now before we get into that i need to know how my friends are doing so my friends how are you doing i'm doing pretty good this week i'm gearing up my um, husband's family is coming into town so getting prepping to do a little birthday slash Christmas celebration with them. Um, Adam's birthday is this week, so we are gearing up to celebrate all things Adam. So it's going to be a good week. The in-laws. I like my in-laws, so, you know, it's well, good. Well, don't, don't say that because then I can't just go, the in-laws. You know how those in-laws are. Oh, God, the in-laws. I don't even have any. How are you doing, CJ? I am honestly, I'm I'm flying pretty high. I'm flying pretty high, just like a flying squirrel. Wait, what? Why would I say that? That's so random. It's not. It's not random. This past Thursday, I went to uh, uh, Judy Pollock's house. Judy is the president of the Chicago Audubon Society. I went to her house and saw flying squirrels in her backyard. Um, and fun facts about flying squirrels, if you didn't know this, they bioluminesce. So we saw pink <laughs> squirrels in Judy's backyard. This is going to be a bizarre episode today. Really cool. 
Thank you. Thank you. I'm very cool. So and yeah, that's, that's the tea. Oh, oh God. it's my episode and I don't even get to make the joke. This is hilarious. <laughs> this is just beautiful. Hey Brittany, hey Brittany. Top of the tea, because Matt just got treated. Oh, is Matt's too young for that? Matt's joke. too young for that. What does that even hey, mean? Hey, all you YVCers, <laughs> you get that joke? Oh, all three of them that listen. Yep, that's it. Our listenership is very small, but I hope now you that right there, that joke that right there, my friends, that is the my tea. definition was the T. I stole it from too. I stole it from too. Well, you know what? <sighs> well, Matt, how are you doing this week? Uh, I'm finally home, so that's. That's a beautiful thing. I got grades finished. My exam's done. It's a beautiful thing. The semester is over. Now, what's not over, however, is our tea time. And you know what better way to introduce a nice little session around the little table with our little teapots and our cups and our kettles than to start out with a piping hot creature feature. So... Let's dive right into that. So, there's a lot of species out there that come with some piping hot tea. There's a lot of drama out there in the natural world. Have you ever seen a wolf fight for dominance? Boy, oh boy, that's pretty saucy. How about Meerkat Manor? Oh, God. The drama on that paralleled only by the most chaotic of all creatures in the animal kingdom, those in the Bachelor franchise. However, there's only one species that I would want to spend some tea time with, and that, my friends, is today's creature feature, the manatee. Now, there are three different species of manatee. There's the West Indian manatee, there's the West African manatee, and the Amazonian manatee. And that doesn't even really account for their close relatives, the dugongs, as well. Manatees are gentle giants, and they're known for their incredibly docile disposition. It's not uncommon, especially in Florida, to stumble across one of these creatures and really, really get an up-close encounter. They're members of a clade known as Afrotheria, which links them to hyraxes, as well as elephants, as well as aardvarks. And it's a really bizarre evolutionary history that you should go revisit in one of our past episodes. They've evolved so heavily from these other descendants due to just simply how long ago they diverged from the rest of them. Now, you might think that a creature this shy and lonely would come drama-free, but unfortunately, even they come with their fair share of tea to be spilled. You see, in Florida, manatees are in particular peril because of that very shy and slow disposition, which pushed them at risk to a whole slew of things, including boating accidents. In fact, manatees are imperiled so badly sometimes that there's even a law dedicated towards protecting them from mere human contact. If you ever stumble across a manatee, make sure to give it some space. Otherwise, you may be convicted in the state of Florida for molesting a manatee. There's more piping hot tea to be shared going forward, but for now, let's Get out of the water with this creature feature and dive into some current events. So 
so my current event this week is a pretty fast one. Um, I just wanted to mention this really quickly. I was very excited about it um, just last week. Um, and it's it's some news out of uh, my hometown, the city of Chicago. Obviously, you know, urban wildlife, we've, we talk a lot about here on the Birdie Bunch podcast. We talk a lot about how, you know, humans interact with nature in such an urban setting like Chicago, like New York, like a lot of these big cities. And we're going to continue to talk about that going into the later half of season two, I presume, and even into season three. But one thing we don't really talk about is some of those negative sides of humans' impact on wildlife, especially in some of those urban settings. Um, as I mentioned last week, I did get to see a snowy owl on uh, on a beach here in Chicago, and that was really, really beautiful and really, really exciting. And it stuck around for about a week and a half. And then I stopped getting eBird notifications for it, and I was like, oh, well, maybe it flew away, and and maybe it's gone, And which was strange, because I expected it to stay here pretty much the whole winter. Um, and people were expecting that as well. Um, unfortunately, that's not what happened to the snowy owl. Um, the snowy owl was uh, where it was hanging out was right on a beach, which, if you know Chicago, is right on Lakeshore Drive. And it was on Lakeshore Drive where this owl got hit by a car and unfortunately did pass away. So, you know, we, we see some of those negative impacts of uh, urban life, uh, human impacts rather on some of those special wildlife. And we see that all over the place. I'm sure there's countless number of birds of prey who have been hit by cars, right? There's a story, like a fictional book I read as a child about cane toads in Australia being run over by cars, which cane toads are invasive anyway. But like this, the story of the impact is still real where animals are being impacted by humans. And it's not just in some of those rainforests, you know, where people are cutting down rainforests and removing habitat. It's animals are finding their habitat in our cities, especially some of these endangered species like snowy owls. And then we are promptly, <laughs> even if incidentally and accidentally, removing them. So that's my current event this week, a little bit of a downer, but try to play it in maybe a more interesting way. Well, lucky for me, I get to follow that one up. Um, Ray, mom don't listen because my mom loves snowy owls, so that's going to be very sad. Mine actually also comes from Sweet Home Wild Chicago, as well as just about everywhere else in the world, because just wanted to plug a current event that's so current and hasn't even happened yet. So on December 19th, uh, the National Audubon Society will be having its annual Christmas bird count. Now, the history of birding is a pretty bizarre one, right? Um, traditionally birding and the collection of like tallies of birds actually coincided more heavily with like killing birds rather than like watching them like way back in the 1800s and such you had a Christmas themed holiday themed Christmas hunt rather than a bird watching day and about the 1920s, it was decided that it would probably be a bit more advantageous to go and bird watch instead of bird kill, especially with the numbers that people were droving as far as bird kill. Things, uh, events of this manner are actually a heavy, heavy influence into why we lost the species, the passenger pigeon. Um, it's a really interesting history, but now we are in our 122nd annual. Christmas bird count, which is phenomenal. Basically, all you got to do is just go out and bird. It's a big civilian science crowd-funded 
data event, right? So anyone who's heard us talk about eBird or such like that knows how this civilian science work. Everyone goes out and they just obtain data, right? This is data, all those bird species that contributes to our knowledge on where birds are at what time of year, you know, what they're doing, what uh, if they're setting up nests, if they're migrating, this is really important data. And events like these, like the Christmas bird count, get as many people out at the same time. So as many birds as possible are seen. And these Christmas bird counts are set up really meticulously so that you can get a maximum plot of area from your given location uh, using the people that you have. It's a really, really fun event. I did my first one last year. And interestingly enough, I got Snowy Owl here in Cincinnati area last year in our Christmas bird count here. This year, I'll be participating in the Chicagoland area one. But if you would like to go out and go birding, you know, go participate in the Christmas bird count, all you have to do is go check out the National Audubon Society that'll give you your local chapters and you can contact those people involved there. Um, locally, we're running through Bob Dolgan, who is a good friend of the podcast. Hello, Bob. But if you're not from our area, all you got to do is find your local Audubon chapter. They have all their stewardship committee listed on the website. Get in contact with the right people and you'll get set up for your very own Christmas bird count as well. I was just going to mention, too, while while you're running some of the Christmas bird count stuff with Bob Dolgan, I'm actually going to be doing a uh, Christmas bird count event with the Chicago Audubon, which uh, is really exciting. So a lot of our listeners may remember uh, a couple months ago, we did a birdability-inspired accessible birding event um, during Birdability Week. Um, and so this is going to be another accessible birding event, but to participate in the Christmas bird count, which is really, really exciting. So all the information about that we'll link in the blog post, um, as well as I might even put it in our link tree in our bio on Instagram. So definitely go check that out to, if you wanted to register for that. Absolutely. There's a lot of really cool stuff going on this holiday season. Just remember, December 19th, go look it up, Google Christmas Bird Count, wherever you want to go. Help us out. Help the birds out. Well, from birding and birds to going down to the sea, my current event is talking all about sea turtles. So my my current event comes from Monaga Bay and says, tis the season for cold stunned sea turtles and their rescue on Cape Cod. The article pretty much talks about that every single year there are these cold stunned sea turtles that wind up showing up and basically they need to be rescued and so in each year um, more and more are becoming um, cold stunned and so thus far um, this year in cape cod massachusetts there have been already been a roughly about 100 turtles that have been brought into a rescue center called aquarium sea turtle rescue center um and last year there was uh, over a thousand stranded sea turtles, um, and some of them are critically endangered. And that was just in New England. It happened really bad last year in Texas. Um, Texas got a really bad cold front and a really bad snowstorm that affected lots of people, um, but it ended up affecting a lot of sea turtles as well. There was actually 10,000 turtles that were stranded last year. And so now this year is just the it's starting to become that time again, um, but thankfully they have a lot of trained volunteers that are um, going out and rescuing these little guys. 
So they wind up going to the Sea Turtle Center and they then either get transported to longer term facilities. Um, so lots of zoos and aquariums, or if they're able to be re-released, they'll be re-released. Um, but sometimes that's not always the, uh, that's not always possible. And so uh, the article just kind of talks about that um, there is actually a, um, not only volunteers that are volunteering their time to rescue the turtles uh, at going out on the beaches and stuff, but there are actually volunteer pilots as well. And there's a whole program called Turtles Fly 2 um, that help bring these um these turtles to warmer climates and to, to longer care facilities and things like that. So um, it's just good to have on our radar and to think about um, because while we're all bundling up, it's, and we see the effects of climate change, it's just a good reminder to um, remember that there are other creatures out there that are suffering the same thing and are going through it. So a little bit of a bummer, but you know, Tis the season. Uh, Brittany, talking about a very sad current event and then ending with tis the season. <laughs> it, it's sad, but like... Oof. But tis the season? I don't I, know. Sorry. This is like very no, Brittany, it's, a, it's the holly jolly... It's the most wonderful time of the year. With that nature in the news, though, let's close out some current events and head into the main topic for today. <laughs> Oh, God, it is absolutely frigid out there. I think there's a reason why they call Chicago the Windy City. Now, if you don't mind me, I'm going to start a little fire quick, but I'm very excited to be sitting around the fire with a nice little hot piping cup of tea to warm up with my good friends. Now, just as in every other realm or circle or whatever, you know, there's a lot of drama in the world of conservation and of education and especially apparently in the world of fascination right we all we all had grew up acquainted with drama with the tea spilling the tea you know we all had that one friend in high school i think that friend was me because i didn't have one of them so we will see no for but... me it was Brittany. <laughs> yeah i'm a nosy <laughs> <laughs> jesus christ I Matt, won't please. deny that. <laughs> Matt, please continue. Well, regardless of who it was, we're all going to be doing it here today because, like I said, there's a lot, a lot of drama in tea and conservation. Now, I do want to make a point before we start this that this episode may allude in name to controversies in the animal world. These are not, and I just want to set the tone, these are not going to be major, broad-scale controversies that have the implications and effects and a lot of negative effects on a lot of people right those topics first of all don't seem relevant or don't seem appropriate in a format that is going to be jovial and making fun and stuff like that um, it wouldn't feel appropriate to have those linked in in that way and not to mention those topics deserve their own episodes like they don't deserve to be lumped into a bunch of different groupings of little controversies so i want to set the stage that this is just tea this is like 
hot drama, but it is not major controversies that have implications upon people in the same way that, like, you know, just the little tea that you sip does, right? Like, obviously, you know, tea implicates some people, but it's not those kinds of topics in um, in their disposition. So, does anyone have something, a little bit of tea that they'd like to bring to the fire first? I would love to start. I would love to start if that's okay. Is that okay? You know what? That is a-okay. This is a round table. Great. I have some piping hot tea I need to spill. I need to get off my chest, if you will. Well, it shouldn't be there. Correct. Correct. Get it off. I, I, I'm doing my best. Get it off. <laughs> so, my first uh, bit of tea, in terms of an animal uh, controversy, so to speak, is about the world's longest snake. Do you guys know what the world's longest snake is? Is it not the reticulated python? I was about to say, I'm pretty sure it's the reticulated python. It is the reticulated python, but do you know what people think the world's longest snake is? The anaconda. They think it's the anaconda. Why do they think it's the anaconda? Because is, isn't that the world's biggest snake? My anaconda don't want none. Unless, unless you got, you got buns, huh? Huh? Absolutely. But no, the anaconda is in fact the world's heaviest snake. Mm -hmm. so why do people think it's the longest? And I have a theory about this tea. And the theory goes back to the mid-2000s, late-1990s movie, Anaconda. Anaconda. <laughs> Where there were 40-foot anacondas swallowing people whole. Didn't we have a whole episode about how media affects conservation? Correct. Correct, we did. Now, I have been doing a lot of research in the past 25 minutes all about <laughs> the longest snake in the world. And all of the official, like, scientific resources will argue that the reticulated python is the longest snake in the world at a maximum length. The longest ever recorded with bones was 33 feet. The longest living specimen ever found was not even 29 feet. For the green anaconda, when you Google how long is the green anaconda, it will give you an average length of 29 feet. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> Very incorrect. They need Jack Cross. They need Jack Cross. That's all I'm trying. Jack Cross, where are you? Now, there are other snakes in the contention for longest snake that regularly do compete with reticulated pythons for that longest snake title, including scrub pythons of Australia, African rock pythons out of Africa, Indian pythons, Burmese pythons. All of these snakes are big, big animals. But the green anaconda, it might fall somewhere in there, but it does not even rank in terms of the longest. It might be top five. It might even be top three. But when we're talking about the biggest snake in the world, that should not be in the conversation. Uh, unless we are specifically mentioning the heaviest, because they be do some chunky boys. They do be some chunky boys. Green anacondas, you know, they could eat, you know, whole capybaras. They can eat pretty much <laughs> anything in the rainforest that they live in because of how big they are but when we're talking about animals like the reticulated python their goal is not to be you know as wide and eat everything like the anacondas is their goal is to be up in the trees or their goal is to be versatile in where they are where the anaconda can really only support themselves when they're in the water 
because of how big they are. Heavy, not long. And don't get me wrong, you'll find long anacondas. I've seen anacondas longer than 20 feet, but <laughs> very rarely. Um, so that's my story about the T of the longest snake in the world, where people are regularly finding, regularly in quotes there, about uh, long anacondas. I was reading an article about somebody who found a 32-foot anaconda, and it's just this anaconda just bloated with water that was probably dead at the bottom of the water, and it just swelled up. Like, of course it's going to be that long. Anyway, that's... I apologize for continuing. That's my time. So, my uh, tea time, the piping hot tea, is um, one that uh, lots of people like to argue about. There's lots of Facebook groups all about it. Um, but that birds aren't real. Birds aren't real. They're government drones. Birds work for the bourgeoisie. But in this particular case, this bird was arrested for being a spy. They arrested Will Smith? Um, it, it, it is a spy pigeon. Will Smith, they got him. They, they got, got him. Will Smith. He um, has a record now? Yeah, so... No, Tom Holland, what have you done? <laughs> oh, canceled. So it was uh, specifically a Pakistani pigeon. And it was arrested by Indian law enforcement on suspicion of being a spy. So this bird flew over um, the border and was apprehended due to a, a suspicious ring around its ankle printed with numbers. And the numbers ended up actually just being the cell phone number of the pigeon's owner. Um, but they did this thorough investigation. They had to make sure that wasn't a national security threat. And once that happened, it was set free. It was documented as just an innocent bird. This particular Pakistani pigeon isn't the first time a bird has been arrested for avian espionage. Um, in 2016, a pigeon was also taken into Indian custody after it was found with a note threatening the Indian prime minister. And so birds work for the bourgeoisie. It's fine. We're going to stay in the skies, but we're going to get a little bit smaller because somehow there is a lot, a lot of drama surrounding a fruit fly. So context about this species, right? The science of taxonomy is bad. Like taxonomy is hard. Naming species is hard. People are bad at it. It's just kind of the way it goes. And there's a lot of drama because of these implications surrounding Drosophila melanogaster, also known as the common fruit fly. So, essentially, the common fruit fly is a species that probably is in kind of the wrong genus all right so when you go into taxonomy the genus is a slightly larger grouping than species but they're the two most restricted one because genus species and another name for genus is genera now a genus is denoted by the first member into that genus right so whatever they provide the genus name for in like one species that becomes the name of that genus so it doesn't get overwritten anything that's put into that genus that's closely related 
also becomes that genus. So if polar bears are Ursus maritimus, they're the first bears uh, discovered. And then if grizzly bears, let's say, were grizzliest grizzliest, but then scientists were like, hey, this grizzly bear is actually related to the polar bear. Rather than taking the polar bear's genus and making it grizzliest maritimus, they would make it so that it would be Ursus uh, grizzly. It's actually Ursus arctus. I don't know why I use grizzliest grizzliest. But basically... TLDR, the first described species in the genus, provides the genus name. Now, the problem is, is that Drosophila is what's known as a wastebasket taxa. And essentially, a wastebasket taxa is a grouping of individuals, be it genus or um, phylum or anything like that, where scientists kind of just don't know what to do with them, so they put them there. So Drosophila, the genus, contains about 2,000 species, which insects are very diverse, but that's absurd. Like, that is absolutely absurd. And the species that we're talking about is Drosophila melanogaster, but it's not the first one described. That would be Drosophila funebris. Now, the problem is, is that looking at genetic sequencing and looking at a bunch of different research drosophila melanogaster should not be in the genus drosophila so why is that a problem right you take it and move it to the other one well the problem is is that as far as study species go that researchers use drosophila melanogaster is just about the most dominant species to be found in research it is used for looking at gene dominance and alleles and anything that has to do with stuff like um, Mendelian genetics, which we don't need to get into, but just genetics and expression and anything that has to do with genes or the changing of genes or anything, all that research is done with Drosophila melanogaster, which means that Drosophila melanogaster, the common fruit fly, is just about, in science, the most well-known species ever. And this is a problem because Drosophila melanogaster does not belong in Drosophila at all. But now science is having a hard time trying to figure out what to do with it, because if you change it to something else, because theoretically what they're looking at is that it should be Sophophora melanogaster, if you change that, all the research that you've done is has to be retconned. And going forward, the recognizability of that name becomes next to nothing because you have to start back from zero. And so science is having a lot, a lot of trouble determining what to do because you have the people who are like, this is the model organism. It needs to stay Drosophila melanogaster specifically because of its importance and relevance in society. But at the same time, taxonomists are like, this is wrong. And... We need to change it to what it's supposed to be. And so there's a lot of conflict. And it, to me, is just hilarious because it's all this over a fruit fly. What a very small piece of tea. It's small because it's a fruit fly. That's the joke. That's, hey, hey, that's the joke. So um, my Piping hot tea is something that I find hysterical. I know we've touched based on it 
here and there in, in the podcast before, but we're going to dive in deeper a little bit here. And my next tea is about some birds who decided to uh, start to uh, swear like a sailor and taught each other more curse words. So um, five African gray parrots, Billy, Eric, Tyson, Jade, and Elsie, um, had to be separated in the UK because they were encouraging each other to swear. They basically were just like rewarding themselves because um, like one would tell one of the parrots to F off and the other one would go right back and say and say F off and um, obviously they said the for the whole whole word but I'm not going to repeat it here on the podcast um but they were in a children's zoo and so um you know ears poor children's ear sensitive ears you know you don't want your five-year-old hearing parrots say to f off but I think it's super funny because it just shows how remarkably intelligent um African gray parrots are I work with one and like these birds are so incredibly smart and so like the fact that one one bird would say f off and then all five birds start saying the f off um it's just really funny and our african gray parrot thankfully isn't a naughty noodle and isn't cursing um but we have to be very careful with the words we say around her she's learned like the Adams Family play, like theme song in a matter of like a day. So they're super intelligent and the fact that they pretty much just got rewarded like right away for cursing because then another bird would do it and then another bird would do it. And that was just like, yeah, we're having fun. I think it's freaking brilliant. And honestly, personally, I think that the UK missed a opportunity with the f off birds, because um, they separated them so they wouldn't keep encouraging the behavior. But hear me out: a twenty-one and up event at at the zoo where you can there's a beer garden and then just a bunch of birds telling you to go f off. Like I would pay top dollar to go to that. I know a lot of people who would pay top dollar to go to that. Um, and imagine if you could like hit on that um, and just teach them to say a bunch of curse words like you would you could potentially make bank just saying. I think I think while they definitely could be making bank, I, I don't know how appropriate it would be for a children's dude to be throwing a 21 and up event. But it, it was like it was a I believe it's just like a regular zoo that oh. had a children's zoo in it. Oh. That where the the birds are being housed. Okay. Okay. So like, well, think about it, random UK zoo. Right. I'm just saying that if there's anybody listening from that particular zoo, hit me Let up. Let's know. That idea. Brittany wants royalties. I do. No, they don't call um, them royalties in England. Oh, well, I don't know. I'll they call them the call monarchy. Them <laughs> that was the joke. Thank you. <laughs> or for added spice, royalties. Royalties. We're spilling them royalties. Oh, very good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow suit here and and uh, do a do a bird current. Nope, not a current event. What are we in? 
tea. What's tea Trauma! time? It's tea time. Yep, it's tea time. So I'm going to do a bird tea time and talk about one of uh, one of Matt's favorite stories with the hot duck. Matt, initial thoughts on the hot duck. Very good duck. Have a sweatshirt about the duck. I. It's a really cool, cool-looking species. My uh, cousin actually owns ducks now. He has a little pond in his backyard. I tried very hard to convince him to get one. It wasn't successful, but I tried. So the hot duck is uh, a mandarin duck, and it was hot because everyone was hot to see it, right? Everyone really wanted to see this, this mandarin duck. But what does that mean, hot to see it? Where do they want to see it at? Um, apparently, a mandarin duck, which is normally native to uh, China, hence its name, mandarin duck, as well as invasive to most of Europe, was spotted in Central Park in New York, which is very strange. So people flew from across the country to come and get this bird on their eBird list. So New Yorkers and, uh, you know, people from other states <laughs> were united by a common purpose to come and see the hot duck. And the, the hot duck has not been seen in a hot minute. So in fall of 2018, that's when it was seen uh, in Central Park. Basically, people came from all over the place, uh, a, an industry of people doing watercolor portraits and like and drawing it on T-shirts and people writing about it on blogs. It was everywhere, this Mandarin duck that popped up in Central Park. And <laughs> it was basically just fleetingly seen, right? It was seen... On one day in October, it was seen by a couple of people a couple of days, and then it was gone. It vanished. Like, it never existed. Um, it was a male mandarin duck, which, uh, it, it's a really beautiful species of bird. So they have this like, gray side, this beautiful blue-purple belly, and then this gorgeous head crest. Um, if you've never seen a mandarin duck before, like I mentioned, I would definitely look them up. Like Matt mentioned, they're really gorgeous birds. Uh, David Barrett, who runs the Manhattan Bird Alert Twitter, said that the Central Park Mandarin duck was probably an escaped uh, or released uh, duck from a zoo or a private owner. Uh, a Mandarin duck has also been spotted in Canada around that time, um, where basically news was met with less fanfare than Central Park. Basically because of the like rarity of this, it was such a big thing. And people aren't quite sure whether it was like a misreport or it was an escaped animal. This really just led people to believe that there was like a global duck conspiracy because weird ducks were just showing up in weird places where they shouldn't be. Like I said, another mandarin duck popped up in Canada. Um, we've had reports of weird things here in Illinois just forever. And I'm sure that story will continue with weird uh, eBird reports into Matt's uh, spilling up the tea. <laughs> Yeah, let me just say, we talked about eBird briefly in mentioning the Christmas bird count. But as birding is technically a sport, this opens itself up to some controversies, right? And we've all seen sports controversies, I'm sure. There's whether, you know, the ref makes a bad call or they find cheating or something like that. You know, controversy is pretty, pretty common in the realm of sports and especially in the realm of sports particularly that thrive upon largely the honor system like birding and <laughs> birding has had a couple of controversies aside of that um 
the first two that I briefly want to touch about are Swallowgate and Watergate, because they're essentially the same one, right? And now that I think about it, the Great Spotted Woodpecker that was reported last year in Nebraska is also one that I'd like. They're all the same, basically. So essentially what birding is, as far as the American Birding Association goes, is two things. You know, there's the act of enjoying birds and understanding birds and learning about birds and watching birds and experiencing birds. That's especially what Freya likes to say, and I think that's such a beautifully parsimonious uh, description of it um, from her. Um, Hello, Freya, good friend of the podcast, Freya McGregor. But another facet of birding is the sport of birding, you know, birding to compete, birding to get the most species. Um, The concept of a big year is in line with that, but there's also big days, big months. You know, you can do county big years and such like that. Essentially, you're just trying to get as many species as possible to beat the next guy. And sometimes people will go to lengths to get those new species. And we can't confirm that all of these have to do with big year related tendencies, but they all are and have been hoaxes in the world of birding. So Swallowgate's the oldest one, and I believe that happened in the 2000s, which before I was birding, where essentially um, a kid was trying to do a big year, but he was trying to do a county big year. Either that or maybe a state big year. It was a restricted big year, essentially, is what it was. Um, And the reasoning for that is for a lot of things. You know, sometimes people don't have the money to go all over the country, all over the world to get as many birds as possible. So they try and restrict themselves to, you know, where they live. And so what this, this dude did was he took a picture of a violet green swallow. Beautiful species. It's a Western species. Um, And it was a picture that, to his credit, I believe he had, but it was a picture that was taken in a different county. And so what he did was there was doctoring to make it look like it was in the county that he was in. People found out, ruined his credibility. The problem with birding is that once you lose your credibility, you never get it back. Um, Once a cheater, pretty much always a cheater. And this is one where he was documented as competing in a big year. Like this was an attempt to boost numbers. The other two aren't necessarily as clear about that. One of them is Wattagate. Um, that's for the species, the Wandering Tattler. It is a shorebird, um, but its banding code, its four-letter alpha code is Wada. So Wattagate, very funny. And in Canada, somebody reported Wandering Tattler, put up a picture on eBird, and it was a heavily doctored photo of a Wandering Tattler on a beach that to their credit, did exist in Canada. Now, what was funny is that this bird had a halo around it because the Photoshop job was bad. This is also something that happened in the last one that I'm going to touch upon, the Great Spotted Woodpecker that popped up last year in Nebraska. Now, Nebraska does not have Great Spotted Woodpeckers. In fact, North America does not have Great Spotted Woodpeckers. The Great Spotted Woodpecker is a species of the old world. Um, and what was really funny was that this bird had the same, you know, halo on it that immediately points to it being doctored. But this person who reported it came in with a lot of, a lot of self bravado and ethos. It was like, you know, I showed this picture to my buddy and, or my buddy took this and it was something about like, you know, his buddy was like, you need to get this on eBird, you know, check it out. That's crazy. This shouldn't be here. Blah, 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 blah. 
And everyone immediately, you know, after like the wandering tattler only happening like a year ago or two, everyone was like, dude, what the heck? And quickly these birds become memes because the thing is, is that everyone catches on right away. It's really funny to see someone sticking their ne neck out in such a bizarre fashion. But it also creates drama, right? You know, we get a lot of people trying to, you know, report birds and the memes created from it sometimes peeve people off, even though I think you deserve it if you're trying to fake a sighting. But I figured it'd be fun to close on a fun little drama verse to kind of officially close up this fire and end our tea time with the Birdie Bunch podcast. Is, is, is that the end of tea time, Matthew? I think tea time's over. I'm down to the bottom of my cup. Wow. I can I, put a new pot on, but I think that's a little... Yeah, excessive. I think it's a little bit late. Yeah, it's a bit late. Wow. Like the holiday season. Mm -hmm. And in... And, and, uh, and... I have nothing. I have nothing. I was going to do what... I was going to say, like, you could get merch, but we don't have a merch code, so... Well, in the spirit of the holidays, we're going to be gifting you <laughs> no. one more episode after this. Oh, okay, good. I was like, and then remember, nothing. remember, three weeks off after that. Now, we're going to be back wanted, on January 10th. Exactly. January 10th. If you feel like you're going to miss us in those three weeks. Go check out all of our social medias, right? Brittany and CJ, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at the Brittany underscore bunch. T-H-E. B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y underscore B is in Brichter, U-N-C-H. And I've been trying to post. Um, and I've been trying to post more, <laughs> more so, regularly. So what's, what's funny is Brittany didn't listen to last week's episode yet. Brittany hasn't listened to last week's episode. I've where, not. Where we bullied Matt off of the recording. <laughs> We did do that. Uh-huh. I take back my bees and Brickter. I forgot we did that last time. <laughs> Sounded like Urkel there. We did do did that. Did I do that? We did do that. Um yes. so my apologies. <laughs> my bees. Anyway, anyway, you can my also... gift to you will be I won't do it next week. <laughs> You can also find me on uh, on the Instagram at cj.greco. That's cj.g as in Greco, R-E-C-O. That's it. Because <laughs> I'm bullying Matt, too. So I don't know how this happened, but if you'd like to find me, you can find me at Matt Valaga, M-A-T-T, M to the A to the T to the T. It was apparently what my brain said before. M as in Victor. Yeah, apparently. Um... <laughs> But you can find me at Matt Valga. That's M A T T V is in Victor A L I G A. I don't. I know I don't post much. I'll probably continue not posting much. But if there's something worth posting, I shall do so. If we Where don't do want to post them, Where do we mm -hmm. post? Mm -hmm. Where do we post? Well, that's what I was about to say. If you want to interact with all of us, because we do post very regularly there, you can find us at the Birdie Bunch Podcast on Instagram and. We do a lot of cool stuff there, so if you haven't checked us out already, please go ahead and do so. In addition, in a link in our bio, you can also find our website, www.thebirdiebunchpodcast. 
Com. That website has all the materials you could need to enjoy us over the three-week break that we're going to be taking after the next week. You can find old episodes there. You can find our bios. Get to know us a little bit. You can find our merch store. You can find a whole slew of things that make your holiday season just a little bit brighter from the Birdie Munch podcast. If you would like to help us out, um, that merch store or Patreon are big ones. Thank you, by the way, to Gabe Anderle for supporting us on Patreon. You can reach that link through our website as well. It's right next to the little button that has our merch store on it. If you can't support us financially, totally understand that. I will continue to make this joke until it's not true anymore, but I frankly cannot financially support myself. You can also leave a review especially on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate those reviews, good or bad. If you leave a five-star, we will read it out. But that said, even if you don't have a five-star, drop a review, please. You know, we really want to give you the best product we can possible, and all of your critiques and information helps us. You can also share this podcast with a friend, family member, even a foe. You know, if you really hate our podcast and you're like, I hate that guy too, send it their way. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with being a second choice. We really appreciate spreading the word, and we can't do this podcast without y'all. And I'm especially grateful during the holiday season that I get the chance to, every single week, talk with two of my best friends and just share what's going on in conservation and society. I think it's a beautiful thing, and it doesn't exist without y'all. So thank you for that. Um, and absolutely, please share this podcast with anyone who you think might be interested, especially if you got friends who kind of partake a little bit in the gossip in high school or college or post-college, frankly. I know that. I was going to say, or now. <laughs> like, Brittany, Brittany, it's kind of time to grow up a little bit. Um, Listen, we all have our guilty pleasures, and I just, I don't like drama. I just like knowing everybody else's drama. My, yeah. why is my head so big? It's full of secrets. Cool. Ah. Well, with that said, catch you next time. Bye. <laughs> this is a mean girl's reference. <laughs> thank you for joining us for another episode of the Birdie Bunch podcast. We would like to thank Sarah Dunlap for designing our logos, Elliot High for being our writing and production assistant, and Connor Whitman for being our music producer. The mission of the Birdie Bunch podcast is to inspire an inclusive community for conservation by using education to promote fascination.